2: Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia.
0: He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael.
3: To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: On well, this episode of Newt's World, I want to spend some time talking about my longtime friend, and colleague who passed away this week at the age of 98, Bob Dole. Bob Dole was from Russell, Kansas, a point he made constantly. One time I was actually in Russell, and I called him from his birthplace to say that I was paying obeisance to where he came from. He broke up laughing. He loved it. He was a natural person of a small town, And the traditions of small towns where people got to know each other pretty well and where your reputation really mattered. He was extraordinarily hard-working. He'd been an athlete when he was young and might actually have gone on to a career in professional sports, but volunteered for the military after Pearl Harbor, served in World War II, ended up being in the army as a second lieutenant, and ultimately went to Italy and in March of 1945, as the war was winding down, he was severely wounded in a battle in Italy. I it was awarded a Purple Heart. And then in April, he was again wounded while trying to protect his troops from enemy fire. He was awarded a second Purple Heart. He spent three years recovering in hospitals, and that really understates it. His right arm was paralyzed. He would carry a pen in his right hand all of his life as a signal that he could not shake hands with that arm. Two of his fellow patients at rehab, Daniel Inouye of Hawaii and Phil Hart of Michigan, later served with him in the U.S. Senate. Dole recovered enough to go to college and law school on the GI Bill. And in 1951, he was elected to the Kansas State Legislature. By 1952, he was also elected as Russell County Attorney, where he served for eight years. And then in 1960, he ran for the U.S. House, where he also served for eight years. He voted for the 1964 Civil Rights Act, he voted for the 1965 Voting Rights Act, and he voted for the 1967 Age Discrimination Act. Bob came out of the classic Republican model. Kansas was the state which had produced Alf Landon in 1936 against Franklin Delano Roosevelt. It was a very deeply Republican state going back to the Civil War. It had a real sense of the Union and real sense of being anti-slavery, and Dole had grown up in that world. He also was shaped by the fact that he had served under Dwight David Eisenhower. Eisenhower, as commanding general of Allied forces in Europe, was a towering figure, a man of great capability, hard work, and honesty. And at the same time, he was a man of Kansas and had grown up in Kansas and personified sort of Kansas values. And so Dole, and he and I talked about it often because I've been at Fort Riley, Kansas, as a child when my dad served there in the Army, and I had a sense of Kansas. I also loved Eisenhower and thought he was a remarkable American who had done just an amazing number of things, both as the commanding general in Europe and then as President of the United States. And Dole really was always, I think, trying to measure up to what he saw as duty, honor, country, and the West Point tradition, and the sense of honesty and courage that Eisenhower personified. And as a matter of fact, when I would work with Dole, what was clear was he was very businesslike. He was very focused. He was very funny. He couldn't help himself. He had to be witty all day, every day. He had a pattern of just extraordinarily hard work. I told him one time that I was very concerned. He had invited me over as speaker to dinner in the majority leader's office. And I was there with Joe Gaylord, who had been my co- designer of the Contract with America campaign, and he had Scott Reed, who was running his presidential campaign, and we were sitting and talking about the whole process of running for president, I said, you know, I'm concerned that you pace yourself, because this is going to be a long marathon, and Dole, who had run for president several times and knew far more about it than I did, said, well, you know, what I really like to do to relax is go to fundraisers, And I kind of stared at him in disbelief. He said, no, he said, you know, you get to stand around and talk with people. And they're all people who like you because they came to your fundraiser. And he literally meant it. I mean, his idea of a relaxing time was to go to a fundraiser and chat with people. He also learned the new members of the house when he exercised in the morning and got on a treadmill, he would turn on C-SPAN so that he could watch the house and learn the new members. This was a guy who was immersed in the process of serving the country and of being a member of the Congress. I think that from that perspective, he was interested in everybody. He was very partisan. This is one of those myths that the news media tries to sidestep. It wasn't that Dole was not a partisan. He was very partisan. He was Republican National Committee Chairman. He was the Senate Majority Leader, but he was also just very much oriented towards people. So he could go out and bash George McGovern running for president as a radical and turn around and have a drink with George McGovern and chat and be funny and make jokes. And it was that kind of ability to reach across at a personal level, which enabled people to decide they liked him, even if, in fact, he was not necessarily on their side. And he also recognized, by the way, that in the Republican Party of that era, If you weren't prepared to work with Democrats, you weren't going to get anything done, because we were pretty consistently in the minority. And Dole cultivated the ability to work with people. With McGovern, of course, as a Midwesterner, they had a natural interest in the federal food stamp program, which from their perspective was also a more money for farmers program. And so they could both please the liberals in big cities, and they could please their constituents back home. And he always said his greatest single achievement was... Working with the Democrat Daniel Patrick Moynihan of New York and developing the Social Security reform of 1983, which Reagan signed into law and which saved Social Security from bankruptcy now for some 40 years. So there's a pattern to Dole that was consistently focused on finding common sense, practical solutions, not very ideological, but very conservative in a broad sense. And very much interested in the Republican Party. Dole ran for president several times. While he was from a small town, he had big ambitions, national ambitions. He served as chairman of the Republican National Committee from 71 to 73, picked by Richard Nixon. He survived Watergate. Jerry Ford asked him to be his running mate, which I always thought was kind of strange. Ford was from Michigan, Dole was from Kansas. was kind of an overly Midwestern ticket, but it made Dole a nationwide figure. It was typical of Dole, though, when Ford added him, he said, you know, I'm really not sure what I can add to the ticket, but I'll do the best I can. Well, he was the attacker. I remember vividly watching Dole out on the stump, just pounding away at the Democrats. And he was a pretty good attacker, but probably, frankly, too narrowly an attacker. He came back and ran for president again in 1988, and got beat by George H.W. Bush, who'd been vice president and stood at Reagan's side for eight years. And so, you know, he bounced back again, and then he ran in 96 and got to be the Republican nominee and lost to Bill Clinton. Now, I got to work with Dole pretty closely when I was speaker, and I would say flatly that without Bob's help, we would not have gotten the things done in the contract with America. The contract with America was signed by House members. It was not signed by the Senate. The Senate's a very different institution, and in many ways a harder institution than the House, designed to be harder. Each individual senator has much more power than individual House members. And Dole, I think, really had a remarkable ability. He personally, such close ties to so many members that he was able to get things done. Although on occasion, we had a couple of projects we really wanted to get through. And he would have me come over and he and I would sit and talk with the senator. On one occasion, we talked with a senator for three hours and couldn't budge him. We couldn't get him to go along. So we lost that round. But Dole was very, very disciplined. And he was very patient. He ultimately came to the same conclusion I had, which is that Bill Clinton just couldn't help himself. He had a Deep requirement to tell falsehoods, and you had to be very careful working with him because he'd promise you one thing in the morning, break his word by lunch, and then promise you something else at two in the afternoon, and break his word by dinner. And Dole, who came, as I said earlier, from Russell, just he ultimately he was very patient. He had this great respect that he had developed with Eisenhower, so he had enormous respect for the office of the presidency. And finally, Clinton got to him, and he turned to me one day. We were in the elevator on the way up to the Senate press gallery to do a press conference. He turned to me, and that's very flat. Kansas voice said, he's just a liar. And the way he said it was the way at a Rotary Club in a place like Russell, you basically tell people, don't loan that guy your car. I would say that Dole, after he ran for president, and he was going to always have a hard time. I mean, the truth is, Bill Clinton was a great natural politician, and The fact is, the reality was that while he ran a good race, he, in the end, was not able to break through and he lost. But he then stayed busy, he stayed active. And the fact is that he retained his sense of humor. At one point after he lost, he was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom for his military service and his political career. And when Clinton awarded him the Presidential Medal of Freedom, Dole stepped the lectern and said,
0: I, Robert J. Dole, do solemnly swear. (laughs) Sorry, wrong speech.
4: (laughs) And it was just typical of his sense of humor and the way he did it. It Reminded me, by the way, of a story about Clinton. The first year that I had become Speaker, Clinton came to give the State of the Union address and he handed me this envelope that said Speaker Duke English, which was different than the speech envelope in which normally the president turns over a copy of his State of the Union speech. And I opened it, and it said to Speaker Newt Gingrich from President William Jefferson Clinton, Dear Newt, you are right, I am resigning. I broke up laughing, showed it to Al Gore, and Clinton then took it back and said, I'm sorry, I gave you the wrong letter. Then he gave me the speech he gave. And remember, this was the period when he was saying that the era of big government was over because he wanted to get reelected. Dole, in his retirement years, spent a lot of time at the World War II Memorial, spent a lot of time working on veterans' issues, and also became, I think, deeply committed to helping veterans in World War II come to Washington and visit the memorial and have a sense of being part of history. It also was an interesting comment that in 2019, lawmakers passed a resolution which granted Dole an honorary promotion From the grade of captain to colonel in the u.s army something which i think he really personally appreciated a great deal
0: if you love sports and true crime then there's a new podcast from executive producer dan patrick and hosted by me jay harris that you won't want to miss
4: Dole was probably the hardest working member I ever worked with. We campaigned together when he was running for president, and he would go do an event and we would ride out to the airplane. He would get on the plane, take a 20 or 30 minute nap, bounce back up, and just had almost an inexhaustible level of energy, partly, I think, because he was excited. He liked people, he liked the competition, he thought he had an important message, and he was prepared to go out and work at it. It was almost like the old-fashioned concept of farming when you farm from can to can't. When you can see, you go farming, and when you can't see anymore, you quit farming. Well, that was kind of Dole's attitude. Of course, he lived to the age of the electric lights, so there's no can't, and he would work endless hours. As he got older, he would go to Florida and get enough sun because you realized he looked younger and he looked healthier when he had a good tan, and so... He was constantly thinking about all of these different kind of advantages but he was doing it in a very relaxed kind of happy way. He had an instinct for being able to deal with people, gain energy from the process, not lose energy. And I remember when we were trying to sort out a balanced budget, it was an enormously complicated process and the differences between the house and senate were very obvious not just differences of policy but differences of style and approach and how things got done and dole just would dive in outside the majority leader's office there was a balcony that faced towards the sun and he would go out there in the afternoon and sit for a while and he called it the beach and you'd show up and he'd say come on let's go out to the beach together the first time he said i was a little bit startled But he had this sense that that balcony of his was the beach. Now, he also had a place in Florida where he had a beach, which is a different story. But he just had this balanced sense that you could get a lot done if you listened to people. You could get a lot done if you diffused anger by humor. And you could get a lot done if you stayed focused on the things you were trying to accomplish. It made him, I think, a remarkably effective senator. It did not make him as effective as a national candidate because they have different requirements. And I think it's one of the things people in Washington tend to forget, that the specific requirements of being a good senator and being really effective in the Capitol aren't the same. It's something Howard Baker discovered in 1980 when he ran for president. Baker was probably as good a leader as the Senate had seen, but it didn't translate when he went out to places like Maine or Idaho or California. And while Baker was really big in Washington, he wasn't nearly as big when he was outside Washington. Well, Dole had become pretty big. I mean, having been the Republican National Committee chairman at a very early point in his career, having been a vice presidential nominee, he had a much better sense of the larger country than most Senate leaders have. And so he was constantly trying to balance it. He also had a really powerful sense of coming from Kansas. When Kansans showed up at Dole's office, they were going to get Dole himself. They weren't going to get some staffer. And Dole would listen to them, talk to them, reminisce about people they knew together. If you're a senator from a really big state, Michigan, New York, California, Florida, you can't possibly know everybody. But if you've been around in politics a long time, as Dole had, and you have represented Kansas you could know a very high percentage of the kind of people who came to Washington. And so Dole really had a sense of camaraderie, telling stories, checking about, you know, how's Aunt Millie doing? And your cousin Tim, has he gotten out of college yet? Well, that made Dole just rock solid back home. So people in Kansas were always going to support him. He also had a pragmatic streak to him. I think one of the things that surprised me after he got out of office, this guy who had always been a totally straight politician interested in government and interested in the electoral process. Now that he was free, he applied the same kind of pragmatic approach to making money. So when Visa came to see him and offered him a fairly substantial amount of money, he said, sure, why not? And then a few months later, Viagra came to see him with even more money, and he said, sure, why not? And he wasn't entirely embarrassed about it. He was quite happy to say, look, this is my age, this is my circumstance, and by the way, write out a really big check. And as a result, he kind of launched himself out of the Senate with a pretty good revenue stream. He then went to a law firm very late in his career. He was already in his 90s. I called him one day and he said, this is really helpful. He said, if my clients think I'm talking with you, they'll figure that I know all sorts of insider stuff. Now, you know, the truth is he knew vastly more about the Senate than I did. He had many friends in the Senate if he wanted to get insider stuff. But it was just kind of his way of both pulling my leg, but also you could hear his brain working and the fact that he was going to say to people for the next three weeks, you know, Newt and I were talking the other day, and that just reminded them that even though he was in his 90s, he was still wired in. He was still part of the game. He was still somebody whose advice mattered and had a very good career working for a major firm in Washington. He also would go down and sit by the World War II Memorial just next to the Washington Monument. And one of our folks who worked with us, who herself was from southern Illinois in a small town, she ran into him one day. And he said, come and sit and talk to me. So she sat on this bench, talked to Bob Dole for about 30 minutes, fell in love with him. And every couple of weeks, she would wander by and he'd be down there talking to veterans and you know, enjoying himself, reliving his younger days. And she would just sat and chat with him, and she just absolutely adored him. Although there was probably a 65-year difference in their age, somehow they connected as Midwesterners from small towns, and both of them found great joy in the relationship. Callista and I would go to Bob's birthday parties. He had a very large apartment, that actually two apartments combined, at the Watergate and he and Elizabeth would host these birthday parties that would run for hours. Bob would sit on a couch and hold court. People would literally line up. You'd have a line of 10 or 15 people waiting to come and sit down. One by one, you'd go by and you'd sit there. He'd ask Callista what she was up to and what she was going to be doing and how were things at the Vatican. Then I'd sit down with him, and occasionally I'd bring him my latest book made out to he and Elizabeth. And You could tell from the number of people, I I think they probably had 150 people at a typical Bob Dole birthday party. And they were elected officials, lobbyists, staffers, folks from back home, just a collection of people who loved Bob Dole and who wanted to celebrate his birthday once again. He was an American original. He was a patriot. He was a man who suffered greatly for his country. He spent several years, for example, he was in a body cast for a long stretch. It was a period where it looked like he might be a quadriplegic. He gradually recovered, but he never recovered the use of one arm. And all of his life, somebody had to help him put his shirt on because he literally couldn't do it by himself. It was a remarkable challenge. And it gave him great concern and great affection for wounded veterans and ultimately for people with disabilities. I mean, he knew it personally, he'd lived it. He was living it every single day. It didn't stop him, it didn't slow him down, it didn't make him less ambitious. He just methodically went out and did his job and did it extraordinarily well. And I think he is the kind of American who has made this country a remarkable country. And I think that he will be a standard for people to look at for many, many years to come. We will all miss him, we'll miss his humor, We'll miss his humanity. We'll miss his professionalism and we'll miss his commitment to America. But he was an American original and it was a great honor to me for having known him both as a professional colleague and as a personal friend.
3: listen to the big take on the iheart radio app, apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: Of all the tributes I've seen to Bob Dole, the one which struck me the most powerfully was by Craig Shirley, who is a great writer, the definitive biographer of Ronald Reagan, has written a remarkable series of books about World War II, and a biography of George Washington's mother, the first one I know of that's been done. So Craig wrote an essay for National Review on December 5th called Bob Dole, The First and the Best, Compassionate Conservative. I liked it so much that I asked Craig if I could have permission to read it into at the end of our podcast today, just because I wanted to share with you Craig's language and his beautiful use of words and the portrait he gives you of Bob Dole, which is, I think, far and away the best I've seen. So I hope you'll find this useful. And I certainly think that it's a wonderful tribute. Everything you're going to hear from here on out is Craig Shirley's words spoken by Newt Gingrich with admiration for both Bob Dole and Craig Shirley. In 1996, then-Republican presidential nominee Bob Dole adopted a slogan for about one week that succinctly summed up one of America's great statesmen, a better man for a better America. He was the first and the best of the compassionate conservatives. Before pundits and pollsters drove the phrase into oblivion, a compassionate conservative was a statesman who never let his zeal or passion for the proliferation of freedom and liberty undermine a foundation of kindness, humility, and empathy. Dole could negotiate and compromise with the best and most intransigent of them, yet would never disavow his principles for political gain. He was the hero of heroes, nearly losing his life in World War II. A poet could write a good piece about Dole's life of hardship and triumph. Reviewing his life brings tears of pride to anyone with a patriotic heart. Dole came from humble roots in Russell, Kansas. He was born on July 22, 1923. That same year, oil was discovered west of town, igniting a small oil boom. His childhood home, or as he affectionately and warmly referred to it, my little home, would be his official residence for most of his life. Other men couldn't wait to shake off the dirt of their small hometowns, but Bob Dole was not other men. He adored Russell, Kansas. Even after leaving, he made regular pilgrimages home. When he was in the mood for a great thick steak, locals could find him at Meredith's Restaurant and Lounge, though he conceded there are good steaks at the Hay Adams, too. Today, a walk down the streets of this Midwestern town is both enjoyable and instructive of middle America. It is clean, simple, and generally well-run. It is located in a very level part of Kansas. There is a small lake nearby, good for fishing and hunting waterfowl. There is a sustainable small downtown, but some of the stores are boarded up. There are plenty of churches and livestock and oceans of wheat. Off in the distance are grain combines and silos. Something about the Midwest has an almost magical way of sometimes making great statesmen. Ronald Reagan and Bob Dole always liked each other. Perhaps it was because they both came from small towns in the Midwest. Perhaps it was because they both grew up poor. Perhaps it was because they both saw the world in approximately the same way. Perhaps it was because Reagan once campaigned for Dole in Kansas. Perhaps it was because they shared a mutual disdain for the wealthy, moderate Bushes. Perhaps it was because the likable and talented Mary Will wrote for both men as a speechwriter. Perhaps because Reagan was always a sucker for war heroes. Whatever reason, they always got along. Bob Dole's childhood could easily be mistaken for a description of a Norman Rockwell painting. His mother was gregarious, and his father was reserved. Quote, she could cook ham and eggs for five or fifty and never drop an egg. When Dole would get into trouble as a child, quote, she would do the spanking, quite a few, for goofing around as a kid, close quote. Despite the spankings, they were extremely close through life. Even when Bob Dole was in Congress, they talked almost every weekend. He remarked that in 1983, during the tense negotiations over Social Security, his biggest lobbyist for saving Social Security was his mother, who was lobbying from her home. She would simply say to him, do the right thing. That year, he and Democratic Senator Pat Moynihan would reach a compromise to save the embattled program. To Dole, saving Social Security was his happiest single memory in public life. Bob Dole was a star athlete in high school, playing on the Russell football team and running the 800 in track. His nights and weekends were spent behind the counter at Dawson Drugstore. He graduated high school in 1941 and was recruited to play basketball at the University of Kansas. He may have made a fine professional athlete, but like many young men, World War II would dramatically alter his life. Quote, when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, we knew it was our destiny to answer our nation's call, Dole said. He joined the United States Army's enlisted reserve corps not long after the attack, earning a commission as a second lieutenant. He was eventually assigned to the 10th Mountain Division, or as it was relayed to him, the Ski Division. The Light Infantry unit was designed explicitly to fight in mountainous and freezing conditions. This was concerning to Dole, as the Flat Plains Kansan noticed, I had never skied before. Regardless, he undertook the assignment with determination and good humor. Poetically, he once said, quote, In World War II, we were all brothers on the battlefield. He recalled G.I.'s weeping in their foxholes the day FDR died. Going to war was not his plan. It wasn't anyone's. But off to war he went, because he loved his country and wanted to defend it. Operation Grapeshot The 1945 Allied Spring Offensive in Italy was to be the final push permanently eliminating the German resistance in Italy. Lieutenant Dole and his 10th Mountain Division were to be a key force fighting uphill against deeply entrenched Germans. On April 14, 1942, Lieutenant Dole was leading a company of the 85th Infantry Regiment in a battle to take hill 913 when they found themselves engaged by heavy machine gun fire. In an unbelievable display of courage, Dole charged and eliminated a machine gun nest with a well-thrown grenade. After falling back into his foxhole, he saw his radio man, Corporal Ed Sims, collapse. He braved enemy fire again to pull the young man into his foxhole. But as he rose from the foxhole again, a Nazi shell exploded near him. He later recalled seeing his parents and his little home flash before his eyes. When he came to, he couldn't move his arms or his legs. He thought his arm was shot off, and indeed it nearly was, only attached by a few ligaments. The pain almost made him pass out. Somehow, he was carried off the battlefield. His men thought he wouldn't survive the day. They gave him a large dose of morphine and marked his forehead with a large M in his own blood. It was nine hours before he was finally evacuated to a field hospital. Dole arrived at the first of many hospitals as a quadriplegic where he was enclosed in a full-body cast for months. He was shipped back to a Kansas military hospital, one that most doctors speculated he would never leave. A chaplain was eventually called to administer last rites. He was barely alive. He itched. He felt dirty. He smelled. He fought off infections that shot his temperature up to 106 degrees and beyond. His mother wept and wept again when she finally saw him, though she promised she wouldn't. As Shakespeare said in Sonnet 18, So long as men can breathe, their eyes can see, so long lives this, and this gives life to thee. But that did not stop fellow GIs from sometimes butting their cigarettes out in his body cast as he lay helpless. He once was a football star, a standout basketball player, an outstanding track and field competitor. But that was over now, forever. His body was shot. His only joy was cigarettes. But he still had his mind. The Little town of Russell took up a collection, to send Bob Dole to Chicago for further treatment. His parents could not afford the cost. After months of being encased in a full body cast, he emerged an emaciated and still partially paralyzed man, weighing a little over 125 pounds. While most doctors were still writing him off, a specialist orthopedist in Chicago named Hampar Kelikan, was making a name for himself by helping veterans make miraculous recoveries. Though Dr. Kalikian had a grim view of Dole's prospects, he gave the young lieutenant what no other doctor had, hope. After seven surgeries, Dole was beginning to improve. While in recovery, he was awarded two Purple Hearts, the Bronze Star with V device, and a meritorious promotion to captain. He would later, self-deprecatingly, refer to this as his bedpan promotion. But he was still deeply honored. He worked and worked in a tireless fashion, to get back into a semblance of shape. In spite of his two arms dangling helplessly at his sides, especially his right. Eventually, he regained some movement in his left arm, never his right, his affliction disguised with a pen or a piece of paper in it. And he set about getting serious about learning. He got night sweats thinking about selling pencils in a cup, a poor beggar of a man. What people don't realize is how determined he was to regain the use of some of his body. He worked with weights for hours, alone. He crept along the streets of Russell, alone, hour after hour. But he also determined to train his mind in academics. First, he had to finish his undergraduate work at Washburn University with honors. Then he earned his law degree, again with honors at Washburn, in 1952. Along the way, he married his occupational therapist. The marriage revitalized him. He became a new man, despite the infirmities. In 1954 he welcomed his first and only child, Robin Dole, to the world. Though his marriage would end in 1972, he maintained a strong relationship with his daughter. While he had many role models through his life, Bob Dole had one hero, Dwight D. Eisenhower. The fellow Kansan, former president and supreme Allied commander of Allied forces, was one of the most essential figures in holding together the fragile alliance between Allies in World War II. Dole recalled one of his most memorably excited moments was the day Eisenhower announced he was a Republican. Perhaps it was this, or simply a desire to continue serving his country, but Bob Dole decided his future was in public service. Dole first ran in 1950 and served in local politics for a decade before entering the national stage. In 1960, he won his first national race and was elected to the U.S. House of Representatives from Kansas's 6th congressional district. He would win two more elections, representing Kansas' first. He was well regarded by his peers and voted for the Voting Rights Act of 1965, as well as the Civil Rights Acts of 1964 and 1968. For Bob Dole, a rising star in the Republican Party, a Senate run was inevitable. After Senator Frank Carlson announced his retirement, Dole defeated former Kansas Governor William Avery by almost 70%. He then overwhelmingly defeated Democratic candidate William Robinson and was sworn into the U.S. Senate. However, before he could enact his agenda, there was something far more important he needed to attend to. Former President Eisenhower's health was in severe decline. The 78-year-old had suffered from heart complications while in office but seemed to be getting stronger post-presidency. However, in 1969, he was admitted to Walter Reed Hospital. Senator Doe visited him often. Quote, if he needed anything, I would be there, Dole recalled. Quote, he had all kinds of help. He probably didn't need me, but I needed him, close quote. The statesman, Supreme Allied Commander, former president, and fellow Kansan died on March 28, 1969. Dole continued to impress his peers and fellow politicians. He was selected to serve as Republican National Committee chairman from 1971 to 1973. Throughout his term, he earned a reputation for working with Democrats and Republicans to find solutions where others saw divides. In 1972, he married the woman who would be the defining love of his life. Elizabeth Hanford of the Hanfords of North Carolina was the deputy assistant to President Nixon for consumer affairs before becoming commissioner of the Federal Trade Commission from 1973 to 1979. She was a very successful politician in her own right, serving in the Ford administration and as a cabinet secretary in the Reagan and Bush administrations. It was Elizabeth who truly cemented Dole's faith. Quote, I paid attention to what Elizabeth already knew. She knows every verse of the Bible, Dole said. Dole prayed every single day and did his best to maintain a strong relationship with God. Quote, you thank God for the good and bad in life, as he put it. Dole once testified as a character witness for Elizabeth telling the Senate committee, quote, I regret that I have but one wife to give for my country. It brought the Congress down in gales of laughter. He always had a great sense of humor. So did some of his staff who lovingly referred to him as the Bobster. Then came the years of high honors and low failures. He won many awards, including the Presidential Medal of Freedom. At the White House ceremony, he started in solemnly I, Robert Dole, do solemnly swear, the opening of the presidential oath of office. Again, it brought down the House. So did his joke about dreaming he'd get something at the White House, but erroneously thought it would be the key to the front door. Laughter. He appeared on Saturday Night Live, poking fun at himself. More laughter. He made commercials. He ran and lost with Gerald Ford in 76. He won his party's nomination in 96. And despite facing Ross Perot as well, did better against incumbent Bill Clinton than could have been expected. And his campaigning did save GOP control of the Congress while denying Clinton a landslide. Later, he delivered a touching eulogy for former President Richard Nixon. People wept. He had a world of friends and a small coterie of enemies. He once told me two people drove him nuts, people who talked too much about their military service and draft dodgers. He very much liked George McGovern, a World War II vet, and despite McGovern's being a liberal, he and Dole sometimes worked on legislation together, including a program to feed the hungry children of the world. He donated to many causes and charities. Every year, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi sent orchids on his birthday. He was the inspiration for the long-missing World War II Memorial in Washington and the Memorial to Eisenhower, also on the Mall in Washington. His combat wounds made him very sympathetic to the plight of others in need, both physically and otherwise. And he acted upon it as a U.S. senator and as a private citizen. He may be the most popular man never elected president. Republicans loved him. Independents loved him. Democrats liked him. He's gone now, this American hero. He was sui genera, Latin for one of a kind. He was strong and he was kind. He was smart and he was humble. He was brave and he was reverent. He was a Boy Scout and he was irreverent. He was charitable and he was for economic sensible. He was charitable and he was for economic sensibleness. His kind won't be found anymore. When asked about his legacy, he said only, quote, I don't know what I was. I've only ever tried to be a nice guy. I still try to be a nice guy. Bob Dole was far more than a nice guy. He was an American, an iconic American, an American who put country, goodness, and goodwill before all. When asked about being a statesman, he simply said, I hope I earned it. Farewell, Bobster. Rest in peace, Bob Dole. That was Craig Shirley's take, and I thought it was so good, so well-written, and so much captured Dole, that I simply had to share it with you. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about how to honor Bob Dole's legacy on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Debbie Myers. Our producer is Garnsey Sloan, and our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at gingrich360.com newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich, this is Newt's World.
1: Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia,
0: He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny.